talking. Our first scripture is from Genesis. We'll start with chapter 3, verses 8 to 15. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel." And our second passage is Genesis 12:1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will make you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So why do we begin here? Why are we going to start with passages of Scripture from the first book of the Bible on a day that is Christmas Eve, the, this time of the year where we're going to celebrate the birth of Jesus? Why are we going all the way at the beginning? And it's Christmas Eve. It should be full of cheer. Why are we starting with scripture? Shouldn't we be starting with singing and jubilee and gladness and all of this? Why are we beginning with texts that talk about cursing of people and serpents and all kinds of stuff? Well, there, there's always a rhyme and reason as to why we do stuff. And, and today we want to just share a story that weaves its way throughout uh, the pages of the Bible so that Christmas... So that on this Christmas Eve and tomorrow when we wake up on Christmas Day and next week and next month and a few months from now, that the meaning and the story of Christmas will may, maybe more profoundly resonate with all of us in our hearts. So let's begin with this. We all hear promises, don't we? All of the time. We hear constant promises all of the time. Politicians. If you vote for me, I promise to usher in a perfect utopia. You will have to pay no taxes, and you will get everything for free. That's what politicians promise. Or what about the, the, the diet gurus? If you subscribe to my plan and you implement this latest and greatest diet that I've devised, this, this Keto Southkins diet, you see what I did there, right? Keto, paleo, South diet, Atkins diet. 
Well, if you take, if you, if you implement this brand new diet, and let me tell you a little bit about it, you'll, you'll eat nothing for two days, and then on the third day, you'll eat three sticks of butter, and on the fourth day, a pound of kale. And if you do that, you'll lose weight, you'll lower your cholesterol, and you'll look like Thor. Well, all right. Well, why not? Why not do that? Folks, we hear promises all of the time, constantly. They are a dime a dozen. I would argue that they are a penny a dozen. We are inundated with promise after promise after promise. We hear thousands of them, but here's the thing. What matters more than a promise is a promise that is kept. A promise that is kept. And what we celebrate at Christmas is God keeping a promise that he made so very long ago. And that's why we go back to the book of Genesis. The first two chapters of the Bible tell us this this beautiful creation that God made. And in this beautiful, ideal, picturesque garden, there are our first parents, Adam and Eve. He puts them in this beautiful garden for them to enjoy creation. He gives them everything. Life is good. They have no need. They have no want. And more than just having sustenance and a beautiful garden to play in, they have direct interaction with God, this direct communion with God. Things are good. Things are right. There's the way that it should be. Like there's something in our heart that longs for life to be that perfect. But if you start right there in the beginning of the Bible, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, oops, it all falls apart. Like through one act, everything just completely fell apart. That perfect paradise did not last for long. Those first parents, like we just read, they, they did the one thing God asked them not to do. What they did is that they turned from God, they turned against God, they rebelled, they disobeyed, they sinned, they ate of the one fruit, the one thing he told them not to do, they did. And through that one act, then darkness entered God's good creation. Through that one act, death entered God's good creation. Everything bad that we experience is due to that original sin and all the sin that's taken place since. Everything, uh, darkness. That, that we experience gloom, despair, hopelessness. It's all a result of what took place in that Garden of Eden. All of it. Even the storms and the earthquakes, the famines, the wars, all of that is a result. The, the, the issues that we have, the fear and the angst and the stress, all of it is a result of what took place all the way back there. And what makes it so bad, it's not just what we have to deal with physically and emotionally as a result of that sin. The worst part of it is that the direct communion that we once enjoyed with God was broken. It was severed. So fellowship with God was replaced with separation from God. But God's plans, God's good plans are not so easily thwarted. They're not so easily defeated. God had a plan before even he created the universe, and that was to secure a people for his own possession, a people to love and to be loved by. There is a golden thread that weaves its way through the pages of the Bible, and it's simply this, I shall be their God and they shall be my people. That's what God is after. So even when we rebelled against God and turned away against God, and even when we sinned, God says, I will make it right. I promise that I will set everything right. And God has promised to do that. So in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, like we just read, 
God promised that one day this unique figure would arrive on the scene and he would crush the head of the serpent, which is to say that he would defeat the devil, the one who tricked the woman, who, who tempted the man, that this unique character would crush him and defeat him. And in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, God promised that through the line of a man named Abram, through the line of this nation of Israel, would rise up this individual who would bless the world. He would be a blessing to all of the nations. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, God promises that someone will forever reign upon the throne of David. He made a promise that someone would be on an everlasting throne. And then he promised in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, he promised that that person on that throne would be a good ruler He would be a good ruler. He shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace. There will be no end. No end. Isaiah chapter 35 tells us that this unique individual that would come on the scene, that he would heal the blind, he would heal the lame, he would relieve fears, and he would bring salvation. And in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, God promised that this unique individual, he would be born of a virgin, and his name would be Emmanuel, which means God with us. In other words, this unique person that would come up in the world, he would bring reconciliation. He would make it to where we would actually be with God, and God would be with us to restore everything that God so desired. So earlier this week, I'm with my little boy, little Emmett. He's almost five, and he's a cookie monster. It's like what he does. It's what he's into. He loves him a cookie. And we were doing something, and, and uh, he asked for a cookie, and I said, I'll give you a cookie later. And he actually said, you promise? I'm like, yeah, I promise. But I didn't tell him when I would give him the cookie. So then, every 10 minutes, he would come up to me. He would stop whatever he was doing, come up to me. Daddy, can I have my cookie now? Can I have my cookie now? Can I have my cookie now? And over and over, he's going on about the cookie. And I'm like, yeah, later, 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 later. And then it got late, and it's bedtime, and he's already brushed his teeth, and he's, bed, and he's asking for the cookie. And I'm like, it's too late, maybe tomorrow. In the morning, he woke up earlier than usual, comes into my room, Woke me up. Woke me up. Can I have my cookie, daddy? (laughs) And the truth is that there are a few things as difficult as waiting on a good promise to be fulfilled, right? There are few things. In the book, the, the Old Testament, all the books of the Old Testament are basically God's people waiting for God to keep the promises that he had been making all along. The song that we are about to sing is a song written from the perspective of God's people in the Old Testament. Waiting, longing eagerly with anticipation, God, send Emmanuel. Send God with us now. We're waiting for him to bring us out of exile. We're waiting for him to make everything right. We're waiting for him to remove our affliction and our our suffering. So today, as we sing, we sing from a different perspective, right? While they look forward to the birth of the Messiah, we look back and we know that 2,000 years ago, our Savior was born. We sing today knowing that God kept the promises that he gave. But 
we don't only look back, folks. We look forward. We don't simply look to the past. We look to the future. For there is a day in which Jesus has said he will come back. He's in heaven waiting for the command from God the Father in which his trumpet will blow. And he will come back and he will, at that point, usher in this beautiful kingdom of righteousness and goodness and wisdom and of light. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. The promises of God, those fulfilled and those that he will soon keep. So I want to ask you all to stand as we sing and worship the Lord on this Christmas Eve. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So, I'm going to say something here that's a little awkward. Christmas is a bizarre celebration. For those of us who know what Christmas really is, isn't it interesting, if not flat out bizarre, that we would celebrate Christmas with glee and joy and gladness. Like, isn't that bizarre and weird, maybe? Strange that we make it about parties and tinsel. Weird question. Would it not make more sense to celebrate Christmas with ashes and sackcloth? Now, that rubs us oddly. And weird, but let me just make my point here. A child is born. He is the son of Almighty God. He is a gift to the world. He's born, he's swaddled up, he's laid in a manger. Is that where the story ends? It's not. For we know in the Bible, the story goes that that child, that cute little swaddled baby Jesus, he grows up. And he becomes what Scripture calls a man of sorrows. 700 years earlier, seven full centuries in advance, it was foretold what this child would have to endure. Isaiah chapter 53 verses 2 through 9 says this. I'm just going to read the whole text here. For he, it's referring to Jesus, this Messiah who would be born later. For he grew up. Before him, like a young plant and like a root out of the dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Surely 
He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. This is what we commemorate at Christmas. This child, this innocent infant who would grow up to take our sin and our guilt and take our pain and take our burden and take our fears and take our worry. He would grow and then ultimately he would go to a cross where he would be sacrificed. He would have his body broken and his blood shed for us. All of that took place on a cross. So at Christmas, What's the main tradition? We give what? We give and receive what? Right? At Christmas, we exchange gifts. And we're into this. We're into the exchanging of gifts. It's cool. It's nice. Most of us enjoy giving a gift. Most of us enjoy receiving a gift. Maybe not the shopping but we enjoy this whole exchanging of gifts. We enjoy it so much that we've created games for it. Yankee Swap, White Elephant. I think they're the same thing. You know, I can't ever tell. There's Secret Santa. We've invented games to give us excuses to exchange gifts and to do it more often. But there's an there's a art and a science to exchanging gifts. We don't just give willy-nilly. Like, you got to give equitably. Like, you want to spend about the same amount that the person is going to spend on you. This is the trick of it. It's really, it's really hard. You don't want to be the person that spends $5 and the other person spends $500. I wouldn't mind it. But most of you, most of you would. Christmas is the exchange of gifts. But what we have to know is that there is nothing equitable about the exchange that took place. There, there is a huge discrepancy between what it is that we have given to Jesus and what, in fact, Jesus has given to us. At Christmas, we celebrate what is called the great exchange. The great exchange. Jesus took our sin. That, folks, is what we gifted him. Not a good gift. But it is possible to give a bad gift. You ever gotten socks? That's a bad gift. Some people love socks. That's okay. You get a pack 
of turkey bacon, folks, that's a bad gift. Because that ain't bacon. That's faking. There's nothing good about it. Right? In the movie, the famous scene, he comes down with the purple, pink, you know, bunny outfit. That's a bad gift. That's a bad gift. So it is possible to give someone a bad, wrong, despised gift. That is what we gifted Jesus. We gave him our sin, and lovingly, graciously, he took it. And he could have returned judgment and punishment on account of all of our wrongdoing and all our shortcomings. But he chose to do something else. He chose to be forgiving and gracious and compassionate and loving. At Christmas, we celebrate the great exchange. He exchanged our sin for his righteousness. See, that's what we celebrate on this, uh, during this season. That's what we received at the first Christmas. That is what the angel said to Joseph in the text that was just read. The angel said, she, referring to Mary, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And it is because of that that we do not celebrate Christmas with ashes and sackcloth. It is because of that that we do celebrate Christmas with joy and glee and gladness because God kept his promise and Jesus Christ came through this miracle that the Holy Spirit birthed literally in the womb of a virgin. Through that came Jesus into this world on a mission of love to feed and to teach and to proclaim and to help and to comfort and to save. This is why we sing and we celebrate. He came to sacrifice himself that that relationship that was torn between us and God would be brought together and displaced and something else replaced. And that is a closeness and a connectivity and a personal relationship with the God of the universe. So if your faith this morning is in Jesus, if you believe in him and you've given your life to follow after Jesus because of who he is and what he's done. Folks, this morning, let us offer to him a better gift than that other one. Sing. Sing his praises. Give thanks that he would leave his throne in heaven and come into this world and be born ultimately to be sacrificed on a cross for your eternal good. So let us sing and sing loudly with joy for that is why we celebrate. Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for this opportunity to worship you and to sing your praises. Lord, we don't gather in ashes or sackcloth. We know why you came and what your life ended up with on that cross, Lord. But we know that the story does not end there. It ends with life and with light. So, Lord, we offer to you our offering of praise with a joyful, humble, grateful heart this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Our next passage is from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 14. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. 
and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace amongst those with whom he is pleased. So there was a holy night two millennia ago. A night that was set apart by God. It was distinct and different than any other night. A night that before the foundations of the earth, God said, on this night, I'm going to do something unique. That was the night, this holy night, where the light of God invaded this dark world. On that night, there were these lowly, humble, meek sheep out in nighttime, out in the dark, out in the middle of nowhere, just tending over their sheep, just doing their job at night when suddenly, and just imagine this and put yourself in their shoes and their sandals. Just imagine that. You're out in the middle of nowhere in the dark night and an angel appears and the glory of God shone all around them. And the angel comes with this incredible news. He's like, I come with good news of nice joy. Kind of okay joy. No, like the angel comes and like, I come with good news of great joy. For on this night, God has kept his promise. God has kept his promise. He has fulfilled what he said he would do. The Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior has been born. And the news, folks, is so utterly profound and overwhelming. It's so eternally satisfying. It is so heavenly glorious that angels, a multitude of angels are dispatched from heaven to come into this world to declare glory to God in the highest. Glory, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom God is pleased. And the text doesn't say this, but I assume this. And in my humble but accurate opinion, I'm probably right. <laughs> I don't think that the angels just said it, like they just declared it. Glory to God in the highest and on peace, you know, peace on earth to all men with whom he's believed. I don't think they just said it. I think they sung it. I think they sung it salvation has come to the world goodness has come to the world death and sin and darkness are about to be a thing of the past some things folks just cannot just be said some things have to be sung and so this praise team from heaven only rivaled by our own this praise team from heaven comes down and leads an anthem night out in the middle of a field in the dark night sky. Then they start antheming the greatness of God. They start glorifying him. They start worshiping him for he has offered peace to us all. They started like just worshiping and praising him. He's offered his son to the world. This is what we do at Christmas and every night in between the Christmases. And it's fitting that it took place at night because this is what God does. He shines light into darkness. This is what he does. 
Where you are grieved, he shines light. Where you are hurting, he shines light. Where you are hopeless, he shines light. Where you are struggling, he shines light. Where you're suffering, he shines light. Where you are, he shines his light. This is Jesus. This is who we celebrate. This is why we celebrate Jesus came into the world. He is the light of God. He is the light of heaven. He is the light of the world. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 says it. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God, he shines his light into our hearts through his son, Jesus Christ. That was a holy night. That was a night, not of darkness. That was a night of light. And on that holy, holy, holy night, the son of God came into this world that no one should ever walk or live or breathe in darkness, but that we may walk in joy and walk and run in joy and gladness in the light of God's goodness. God, thank you so much for this gift that you've given for that night 2,000 years ago, that, oh, holy night, you shine light. You shine light that we may know comfort and joy and peace, that we may know satisfaction, that we would know you and you alone as our provider and our helper and our counselor, our friend. What a beautiful night that was. The night that changed the course of history. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So, uh, several years ago, doing what so many guys do in the evening, just flipping through, like scrolling through different, all like 44,000 stations that are available these days, and there was nothing else on, so I happened to land on this show about UFOs and 
alien sightings. And I mean, clearly there's nothing else on for me to like stop and, and watch this stuff. And it was like, uh, I'm not even sure where it took place, but there were like several people in the area, all independent of one another who claimed to have seen a UFO. And I guess it was because it was unidentified, but they believed it to be some kind of like alien life, life form in some kind of like vessel that could travel the cosmos. And and I remember that, that, I remember it very vividly, and it was several years ago. And the reason why is because of how the people spoke about what it is that they'd seen or what they thought they had seen. Because I don't believe there's really any of, anything out there. But anyway, uh, <laughs> you don't care to know that. But <laughs> my theology on aliens is no. But anyway, um, and if there are, that's cool. But that's all right. They haven't messed with me, and I'll leave them alone. So I'm watching, I'm watching this show, and, and our, the interviewer is, like, asking them individually, well, tell me what you saw. And, of course, it has to be the dude with, like, like one tooth and, like, a wad of chewing tobacco out in the middle of nowhere. And he's driving, well, I'm driving my truck, and I looked out, and there's a light up in the sky, and it wasn't a plane, and it was weird, and it was there, and it's gone, and it's just erratic. And, oh, you know, that's how they talk. And so that... They're, they're all sharing kind of the same story about what it was that was up in the night sky. And what really, really stood out to me from everyone's response was how they ended their testimony. It's really what it was. All of them ended with saying, it changed my life. I'll never be the same because of this Thing that I saw, this aberration, this anomaly, this phenomenon in the night sky, I'll never be the same. It totally changed my life. And, quite, and I'll just be honest, not that I would tell you lies, but I'll just be honest. I, I find it like unfathomable and unbelievable and even sad that people who saw this light that was random and inexplicable that was here and gone with no rhyme or reason, that didn't communicate anything and didn't make any personal connection with any of them, that they would be profoundly changed forever. By this slide, I find that remarkable, unbelievable, and just utterly sad. For I want you to know today that there is a better light. There is a greater light. And that light, is Jesus Christ, the, the light of God. He came not randomly. He didn't come inexplicably. It was foretold, and it was by God's design that he would come into this world. And he, he was born, and he was a baby, and he grew up in stature and in wisdom, and he dwelt among us, and he walked with people, and he talked with people, and he shared with people, and he fed people, and he healed people. He made connections. There were personal relationships. And that is why Jesus came. He came to shine not this random light, but for he himself to restore us to himself, for us to enjoy that relationship that we once as a human family enjoyed with our creator. But I want no one to walk out of here with any misconceptions about who Jesus is. Jesus is the word of God, which is what that text just told us. He's the word of God. He predates creation, and it tells us in that text that he, the word of God, predates creation, and all of creation was made through him. In other words, the word of God is God. He is 
the, the Son of God, the second member of the Holy Trinity. And so through that virgin birth, through that miracle of the virgin birth, deity and humanity were joined in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the God-man, fully God, fully man, one person, Jesus Christ, and he dwelt among us. This is who we celebrate at Christmas. This is why we celebrate. We celebrate because of who he is. And so I want everyone to know on this Christmas Eve that God loves you. No matter what you've ever done, what you've ever said, what you've ever thought, no matter how egregious the misdeed may be, God can forgive it all. Every bit of it. No matter what you're struggling with and what you're going through and what you're dealing with, God can help you through it all. This is why he came. He came to help us, to be with us, to cure us, to remedy, remedy us. In John chapter 1, verse 4, it says that he offers life. He offers light, and there is no darkness that can overtake him. And so if you're in Christ, if your faith is in him, then guess what? There is no darkness that can overcome you, that can overtake you, because the light of God disperses, scatters all darkness. This is the beauty of Christmas. So I, I ask that you would not leave our worship service this morning, that you would not exit this building without having placed your faith definitively in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Word made flesh, the light of God. And by that I mean believe in Him, that He came to rescue you and all of us on this mission of love to save us and to help us to be our friend and our counselor. Don't leave without it, giving your life to Him who gave His life for you and being faithful and living a life of faithfulness to Him who is so faithful, who keeps his promises, who is more powerful than anything the world could dare throw at us. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. God, again, we pray. We pray to you and we give you thanks. We give you thanks for not leaving us desperate, for loving us and caring for us, Lord. And you made it easy that is simply by faith, that is by believing, it is not by our works, Lord. You came to do all the heavy lifting, to do all the hard work that we could not do for ourselves. Thank you for your faithfulness. And Lord, now I ask that all of us, that we would embrace you as you've embraced us to live a life of faithfulness to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Our last passage is from Revelation 21, verses 1 to 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And then chapter 22, verse 5, and night will be no more. 
They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. So in a Christmas Eve service, we have covered the entirety of the Bible. Started in Genesis, we're ending in the last book in Revelation there. Why not? Why not? So, my oldest daughter, Edie, I did not get permission to tell this story, but I'll ask for forgiveness later if it embarrasses her. When Edie was about four or five years old, she randomly came up to me one day and said, Daddy, is there going to be nighttime in heaven? It's a really random, it just kind of came out of nowhere. And I said, actually, no. God's going to shine his light all the time, and there's going to be no darkness, and there's going to be no nighttime in heaven. And then she responded, oh, man, I'm going to be tired all the time. <laughs> there's no nighttime. I won't be able to sleep. <laughs> Folks, yeah, you know what? There's an age that's coming. And there's going to be no darkness, and I don't know how, but it's going to be perfect rest. See, this is the blessed hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That there is a day that is coming where there will be no more darkness and no more gloom and no more anguish. There's a day that is coming where there's no more pain and no more suffering. There's a day that's coming where there's no more burdens to be carried. There's a day that's coming for all who place their faith in Jesus where we get to lie down in God's eternally good green pastures. There's a day that is coming where there's no more ailment and no more sickness and no more illness and no more death and no more any of that. Be glory and bliss and peace and perfection forever and ever. There is a day that is coming when all of God's good plans are going to be finalized and brought to complete fruition. There's going to be a day where that name is going to come full circle and be fulfilled totally, Emmanuel. There's a day that is coming where God will be God with us. We shall be his people and he shall be our God. He will dwell with us and we will dwell with him. It's going to be the comforts of God's presence forever. The majesty and the beauty of his glory forever in all of that made possible because of the birth that took place 2,000 years ago. All of that because of what we celebrate during this time of the year. Jesus came to shine the eternal light of God, to call us out of darkness that we may forever walk in the glories of his marvelous light. He came that we would receive peace, the peace of God and peace with God. He came that we may receive abundant, eternal, blessed life. To be enjoyed now, starting now, not just then, but even now. That is the gift of God. That is what he offers to us. And it is a gift. It is free. It is out of his grace and out of his love. You don't earn it. You can't earn it. You can't work your way into it. You can't be good enough for it. He simply says, I love you and I give you my son. And Jesus says, I give my life for you. And it is simply by faith. It is simply by trusting in Jesus Christ, who he is and what he accomplished for us on the cross. He is the son of God, the word made flesh, the light of God who came to this world, lived a sinless life, went to a cross, 
died, paid for our sin, died on that cross, but it doesn't end there. He rose again. He conquered death and darkness, and he's right now seated at the right hand of the Father. Well, one day there will be a trumpet, and he will call all of his people home where there'll be perfect rest, even though there won't be a night sky. That is what we celebrate. Folks, that is the story of Christmas. That is the story of the Bible. That is the gospel. That is why we sing. That is why this time of the year is such a big deal to those of us who are followers of Jesus. God, thank you again. We give you all the praise in the world, all that we can muster, all that we have in our hearts to give you. We thank you and we rejoice in you. You are Emmanuel. You are God with us. You've come to bring peace, Lord, and now we just take pleasure in your glory. We give honor to you, for it belongs to you and to you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.